Every week on Talk Easy with Sam Fragoso, I invite an artist, writer, or politician to come to the table and speak from the heart in ways you probably haven't heard from them before. Some of my favorites are with Tom Hanks, Questlove, and Kate Blanchett. In recent weeks, I had talked to actor Dan Levy, director Ava DuVernay, and the editor of The New Yorker, David Remnick. You can listen to Talk Easy on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of On Purpose. This week, I talked to Tiffany Haddish in a hilarious, deep, thoughtful interview where we dive into family trauma, grief, sobriety, love, and dating. I got a big heart, and I'm very forgiving, but, like, don't abuse it. It's been abused enough. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss this one. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your hosts of TMI. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. Listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. If you want to level up your marketing and business knowledge, look no further than the Marketing School Podcast, hosted by Neil Patel and yours truly, Eric Sue. It is the number one marketing podcast on Apple and number 15 on business in the United States. Now, if you want to listen to interesting conversations with operators that have been there, done that, also with other interesting guests, then listen to Marketing School every weekday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, Fast and Furious fans, welcome back to another podcast. My name's Amelia Hartford. And I'm Sung Kang. The reason why I say Fast and Furious, our guest today built all the cars, starting with Fast 3, one of those cars being Han's RX-7. Yes, he built so many iconic cars that... We shouldn't try to name them all. (laughs) It's great to see him take his passion for cars and convert it over to movies. Oh yeah, we have cool conversations about cars dropping out of planes on Fast and Furious 7. And we also talk about the future of practical cars and CG cars in movies. Yeah, yeah. We joke a little bit about the street takeovers becoming a thing. Which we would say this gentleman we're going to speak to is actually responsible for that. (laughs) (laughs) Unintentionally. Yeah. And without further ado... Dennis McCarthy, everybody. I think people know the cars in the film, but... Nobody knows you, Dennis. Like I, I, even the people that work on the movie, it's like they don't know like where you're from, like yeah. where you started. Like you know, I, I want to share that story. Like I want to share Dennis's story. Like how'd you get into cars? Where'd you grow up? Like what was the history prior to you coming to Fast and Furious? Like why cars? Yeah, I'm, I'm like that guy behind the scenes, kind of like no one ever sees me. You know, I just yeah. you know cars show up and uh, you know, and that's it. But. uh I've always been into cars. I mean, since a very, very early age. As long, honestly, as long as I can remember. I mean, I, uh, you know, my first memories, uh, first memory of a car is being, you know, somewhere around two, maybe three years old. My dad had a '69 Camaro, uh, four-speed car with uh, the Hurst white shift knob, and you know, I would reach over there and shift gears, you know, from the passenger seat as a little tiny kid. So I, I think it was just something that was always, whether it was 
anything with wheels, motorcycles, bicycles, skateboards, you know, everything in my life was kind of focused on that. I think I had a bicycle repair shop in the third grade with my own business cards I'd pass out at school, you know, so I was <laughs> just kind of always working on something, fixing something or playing with something or driving something. So, you know, long story short, in high school, I was a, a bad example in today's society, but I, I did you know, street racing was like my number one hobby. You know, like my, my buddies played football, played baseball. I went street racing. So that's what I did, you know, and I knew all the hot spots. I knew all the times to be there, the days to be there. And, uh, you know, eventually, of course, got in trouble here and there for that reason. But uh, nonetheless, it was uh, in the long run, I guess it was worth it. Where, where'd you grow up? Burbank. Burbank. Wow. Yeah. So, you know, we used to race out by, uh, you know, Peoria Street, Roxford Street. You know, we'd go uh, way up Wheatland. There was a long stretch there. We could, you know, there was a lot of great places. Actually, right down, it's funny. When I started the movie, it reminded me because one of the places we would race was right off of uh, Fletcher. Mm -hmm. I remember the first time going down this path, oh man, this is my street right. You know, they're all the burnout marks were right there, everything, you know, it's like <laughs> one of my favorite spots. But uh, got a job at a dino shop. I worked at the Glendale Speed Center, for instance. That's like, if you ever notice in Fast 9, uh, the Toretto car says Glendale Speed Center on the hood. I put that there because that's where I worked when I was in high school. Oh, wow. So, oh, you fun. know, I always try to slip a few things in and it's, and it's funny, it's like, we did some, some mock-up mock up with the uh, car, actually, you know, your friend Jose at Extreme Raps, and uh, I do this hood, and then, you know, I, I'm asked, well, do we have clearance? I go, yeah, and I called, the owner's still around, you know, I got a hold of him, and we got got it cleared, but nobody asked me where it came from, and I, and I think what happens in these situations is I think that probably the director maybe assumed the production designer came up with, or vice yeah. versa, <laughs> or they just assumed that it came from somewhere, but nobody ever bothers to ask me, what's the Glendale Speed Center? You know what I mean? But it's... Uh, you know, there's so much going on when you're, you know, when you're, you know, doing 50 some cars, it just all kind of blends together. But anyways, uh, I started working there and then, you know, shortly thereafter, uh, you know, went to a trade school. I went to Valley College briefly for engineering and uh, just ended up opening my own shop up, I think around maybe 2021 20, at my own business. So been doing that ever since. And, you know, so it's really, you know, people always ask me, wow, this must be great. You know, what's it like compared to what I said? Well, it's really the same thing as what I did. I mean, I had a shop with, you know, maybe six guys, whatever. We built a bunch of cars. I do the same thing now, just on a much bigger scale. That's all. It's just on a, a tighter lot. deadline, right? The deadlines are tight. Yeah. You know, like, <laughs> where, you know, you can say, yeah, I'm going to build you a custom car, you know, frame up, you know, everything else. You know, you can say, yeah, go give me about a year to do it. You know, we'll have to build, you know, 60 cars like that in the span of three and a half months. So, you know, it's a different it's a def different speed, we'll oh, say, yeah. for sure. De grabbing another gear there, for sure. But, uh, you know, hire accordingly, get the right guys, it always gets done. So. We're at number 10, Fast and Furious 10. And you yeah. started... Same time you did, yeah. Fast and Furious 3. So could you give us, Dennis, a little history of how you you got into the whole Fast and Furious franchise? Yeah, sure. I mean, it's, uh, it's going way back. Um, but I was basically just, you know custom car builder had a business in Burbank for forever, like literally since I was 20 years old. And somehow through a friend of a friend, I ended up working on a, his name was Jim Brubaker at the time he was the head of the studio. Yeah. So uh, he got referred to me to work on his cars uh, through a friend of his son. So anyways, um, it really just started off working on, I think he had, he had a 71 El Camino. He had a you know, couple of cool cars, you know? So uh, one thing led to another and he wanted me to build a, modify a vehicle for a scene in, in a movie called uh dragonfly okay it was a movie uh kevin costner and, and his wife dies going off a cliff in a bus so they had purchased this uh old army vehicle probably the worst possible choice you know i mean there could have been a lot of things that you could have just bought and would have worked but anyways they bought this old army vehicle that had no suspension uh manual transmission no power i mean it was just very 
not user friendly at all. So they wanted a V8, they wanted air ride suspension and uh, automatic transmission, you know, just all this different stuff. So it could go down the hill smoothly with a camera mount. It was a point of view shot is all it was. So they had basically the front of the bus, then goes off this cliff. So I said, yeah, no, no problem at all. You know, so uh, got that done for him. And then he called me again for uh, Bruce Almighty. Needed some help with some cars. They had a Saline S7. Uh, long story on that one. I won't go into, but it was. I want to hear the story, please. That's why you're here to tell the stories. <laughs> All right. Well, this yeah, is a fun, yeah. this is a this is a funny story. Yeah. I mean, it's really not funny, but uh, I guess it was funny from being on the outside of it. So, so he asked me to come to set to check out this Saint Lean S7, and it, it had been postponed, postponed because the car wasn't ready. This is literally right when that car was debuted. It was just, you know, there was one in existence, which was owned by Steve Saint Lean. That was the only car that existed. So. uh they kept moving the shot, moving the shot, waiting on this car. So I'm there that day. He wants me to wait and stand by and just check this car out, make sure everything's cool. He wants me to be the guy that places it, you know, shows Jim Carrey how to get in and out of it, all that good stuff. So I go, okay, yeah, great. Sounds like fine. So I, I head out there and uh, trailer rolls up and the car had to be still. I don't know if you saw the movie, but there's a scene where the car, uh, his silver Z morphs into the St. Lane. So the color was a critical part of it and they'd already shot the Z. So, uh, Trailer shows up, but it's got a yellow one and a silver one. Oh, that's strange. I wonder what they're bringing. The I mean, what good does a yellow car do us? So anyways, car's getting loaded, and the rep says, hey, I'm, I, I apologize, but uh, the silver car's not done. It's it's cosmetically cool. It's a good static car, but it, it doesn't run. And uh, we just figured you guys could just you know either do a static shot or you just do a uh, change the car to yellow. I'm going, well, that's not, that's not my call. So anyways... Uh, Everyone comes over, and uh, that's not going to work. It's a driving shot. The car has to be silver. They're talking about tow bars, this, that. Nothing's going to work. So, uh, you know, I'm asked, hey, can you fix the car? And I said, I look inside the car. You know, there's no wiring harness. There's no fuel system. It has a motor sitting, but that's about it. I go, not today. <laughs> you know, that's not going to happen. So uh, this is right about the time that there was something called peel coat paint that was around. It just kind of started, you know, being used in the studio business, basically, is that like, like plasti dip. Yeah, exactly. But it, it's but not as good. It's like a it's almost like a rubberized. It feels like a latex glove okay. on the car, and then you spray paint basically the, the latex. You know, is what it, what it, how it works, and you have to spray it on with a special gun, kind of like a gun similar to a like a Linex or a Rhino lining gun. You know, mm -hmm. so we send guys in all these different directions to get the gun, to get the paint, to get the you know the peel coat product. And uh, we reconvene at a body shop in front of mine, Jack's Auto Body. We, I call him, I go, I got a 911. I have to have this car back on set tomorrow at 5 a.m. <laughs> you know, get this done overnight. He goes, yeah, yeah, no problem. This is, you know, probably 3 in the afternoon by this point. By the time we get all the materials, it's probably 5. And we start trying to spray this car, and it was freezing cold, right? Spraying the stuff, spraying the stuff. But the stuff is, is too cold, and it just keeps orange peeling really bad. And then we have to clean it all off, start over again. We go through this process. By the time we get to... Uh, God, it was probably 10 p.m., 11 p.m. at night, and I'm just going, man, this is, it's not, it's not going to work. You know, we can't. It's just, it's about 25 degrees too cold. So uh, I call up, call up Jim the head. go, hey man, uh, I got a little problem. I said, uh, it's just, it's not going to work. I said, the only way I can, you know, have this car for you tomorrow morning at 5 a.m. in silver is if I just paint the car. I don't want to use profanity on your show, but he goes, yeah, paint the car. Car. I go, okay, all right, great, man. So. Next thing you know, man, I got a crew of guys sanding this, you know, brand new St. Lee S7. And uh, we painted it silver, and we were up on set the next morning, 5 a.m. I'm touching up the little little flaws with a Sharpie. You mm. know, I'm just like, I'm literally right there as they all come like out. Like the silver Sharpie? I was using a black Sharpie because <laughs> the black, I didn't have a silver Sharpie, but the black was better than yellow. So it was kind of like in the door seams mm. and everything. I'm just using a black Sharpie, and I'm 
trying to hide any kind of any bits of yellow. And uh, we got it done. There was a lot of discussion after that about that whole process and uh, potential legal action there. But anyways, bottom <laughs> line is we got the car painted. We had it on set. It looked great. And, uh, you know, everything went well from that point. To on. not only paint, but also prep a car within that time frame. I, I hope people listening can understand how unreal that is. Yeah, it was. I mean, we did the car. By that point, it was probably 11 at night, and we had it, you know, probably gave us about four and a half hours to... Was it? Was the paint so, dry when you showed up on set? A little set? tacky. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We brought it back in an enclosed trailer, so it kept the bugs off of it. Yeah. But uh, now it all worked out. But it was... Uh, that was kind of my start into the business. I, I, got, I got so sidetracked there. So no, back to your original cool. question. Yeah. That's how I got kind of hooked up with Universal. And then, uh, you know, one thing led to another... And in regards to uh, Fast and Furious, um, I get a call once again, same, same, same man, Jim Brubaker calls me up to his office. He goes, hey, what do you know about this sport of drifting? You know, in my head, I'm thinking, well, shit, when I was in high school, man, I'd, you know, slide cars right into a curb, you know? So anyways, I said, yeah, that sounds, yeah, I know, I know everything about it. Like, you know, the, the usual answer, mm -hmm, you know? So uh, mm -hmm. uh, he goes, great. Can you do, a, can you do a little research on the topic for me? He doesn't tell me what it's about or what it's for. I mean, in retrospect, it, it feels like I turned into like an eighth grade report on the sport of drifting. You know, I, I did a notebook with a picture of uh, a car drifting and just kind of went through the history, the tracks, the, the key players and everything else. And uh, very rudimentary, but just, you know, brought it to him and kind of sat down with them and just kind of went through it page by page and showed him where it's at, the, the different organizations that run it and everything else. He said, great, great. I, I, I totally appreciate this. I said, okay, all right, thank you. Thank you, no problem. You know, left, thought that was, that was the end of that. He calls you back a few days later. He goes, hey, I'd like you to come up and talk to a few people. I said, yeah, no, no problem. I head up to Universal. We go up to the eighth floor conference room, and I, I, you know, there's a whole bunch of people there. I'm, you know, horribly underdressed. You know, I'm just, <laughs> I was not, not expecting this. And they've actually made a copy of that book, and they've spread it around the whole table to everybody there. And I'm just like, wow. I wish a little heads up would have been nice. You know, like a little bit of a, hey, this is what we're going to do. But just, you know, I come in blind. And, say, you know, same conversation. Can you explain the sport of drifting to us? I, yeah, I do a little pitch on it, and uh, at the end of that meeting, they say, well, hey, we'd like you to uh, go to Japan and do some research for us. I'm like, great. You know, it was, it, but it happened that quick. It was literally, you know, walked out of that room, hooked up with travel, booked a flight, and, you know, I think within a few days, I was, you know, I was in Tokyo. Mm. So that's how it started. That's mm. how I got hooked up with uh, the franchise, and that's, you know, that was my first experience with uh you know fun with uh, a whole bunch of cars amelia and i were talking about the street takeover donut scene yeah do you understand that dennis i do not understand it at all it's <laughs> okay. the stupidest so thing i've ever seen it is the stupidest <laughs> thing i've ever seen and it goes back i mean this goes back to when i was a kid uh probably the sixth grade you know my my buddy's dad was a big stock car fan we'd go out to saga's and i remember you know when getting the seats he'd always say oh yeah you never never sit on the outside of the turn you know like we'd always you know you know, plop down in front of the straightaway or somebody goes, oh, yeah, you know, the, the cars can climb the fence. I've seen it happen, you know, all this stuff. So at a very early age, you know, don't stand on the outside of a sliding car. And I watch these street takeovers. Mm -hmm. The cars are doing donuts and the streets are packed five or six deep. I mean, if something does go wrong, you can't get out of the way. It's just. But it does go where, wrong. And, and it does. Oh, yeah. And like I just excited over getting hit. Sometimes. I watch it. I just don't understand what has happened to common sense. You know, I mean, that's <laughs> just something like when we were like, even my buddies, like. We would never do that. You know, I mean, yeah, we might go into an area such as you do a bunch of donuts, but it's going to be, you know, somewhere where there's nobody else around and we'll, that was great. And we drive away really quick so we don't get a ticket, you, you know, mm -hmm. but to do it with a huge crowd, it's, uh, I don't know, it's beyond me. No one's, I, you know what? I just, I just figured it out. Huh. I know where it came from. It came from, I might be off one movie, but it came from Fast and Furious 4. We did that sequence down at downtown LA 
We had a BMW doing donuts. We had a huge party scene. It was I down. I don't like, know that you want to say that. I know. But there, I know. Yeah, I, take that back. It was <laughs> oh, some no. other movie. But it's anyways, all your fault, Dennis. I know. But it's just so funny, though. I just, Surprise, we have the FBI outside. I know. It's just so funny. When you ask that question, where did it come from? I thought, I know I've seen this somewhere before, and it just popped in my head. That's where I saw it. But we rigged a BMW. Now, what we did was uh, we actually had a BMW that was rigged like on a like a track on like a spinning thing, mm-hmm. so it couldn't get away, it couldn't go anywhere. But uh, you know, it had the right look on screen. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, "Well, I had this career before, but it was a waste." And that's where the perspective shift comes. That it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots as I sit down with inspiring women like Misty Copeland, Brooke Shields, Vanessa Hudgens, and so many more. We dive into how these women made their pivot and their mindset shifts that happened as a result. It's a podcast about women, their stories, and how their pivot became their success. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of On Purpose. On Purpose's mission is to create impactful conversations to help you become happier, healthier, and more healed. This week, I talked to Tiffany Haddish in a hilarious, deep, thoughtful interview where we dive into family trauma, grief, sobriety, love, and dating. You'll be laughing, crying, and have so many impactful takeaways after this interview. I had this, like, you know, homie lover friend for a long time. He's very disrespectful to me, very kind of messed up to me. But in my mind, we could get married. We had the most beautiful babies. He handsome. I'm pretty. Like, it would be so cool. He's smart and intellectual. I'm kind of smart, I think. Like, it would be fun. We have the best conversations. Like, we have fun. But then he would treat me like crap. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss this one. If you want to level up your marketing and business knowledge, then look no further than the Marketing School podcast hosted by Neil Patel and yours truly, Eric Sue. It is the number one marketing podcast in the United States and number 15 on business in the United States. And it has amazing guests such as Alex Hormozzi, Layla Hormozzi, Cody Sanchez. We pull in these amazing interviews with other people that are not only great marketers, but actual operators. And the icing on the cake is Neil and myself were also operators as well. So we share learnings from the trenches. We share secrets that we otherwise wouldn't be sharing with other people. And we also share other advantages that will help you get ahead of your competition. So all you have to do is listen to Marketing School every weekday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, Chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. I'm excited to announce a new season of my podcast, Math & Magic, Stories from the Frontiers of Marketing. Our guests this season remind us to embrace change and fearlessly look toward the future. Like Andrew Jarecki, award-winning filmmaker and creator of MoviePhone. The studios didn't really control the theaters. The theaters didn't control the studios. 
And I thought, well, there's a window in here where I could make things easier for the consumer and also make something that would be very useful for the industry. Or Kellen Kenny, chief marketing and growth officer at AT&T, who installed fiber in customers' houses rather than leading from afar. It is so crucial that you spend time with the customers. That is the best lesson. In these exciting times, we're looking to the math, the strategy and analytics, and the magic, the creative spark more than ever. Listen to a brand new season of Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. On the set of Gran Turismo, I saw my first pod car. And for the listeners who don't know what a pod car is, everything that controls the car is now on the roof, and the actor gets to sit in the driver's seat where you can't see anything because the cameras are blocking your view, um, and and the stunt driver drives, and, and you get to pretend like you're driving. <laughs> yeah, because you can always tell when you're watching a TV show, a film, or whatever, if they're on a process trailer. just has that no suspension look. The car sits too high. It's just, it's just not the same. But with a pod, it's really the car's doing what it should be doing, but a stuntman is on the roof driving it. So just imagine if you had a roof rack with a lawn chair and a steering wheel. That's about what it is. He's sitting up on the roof. He has gas pedal. He has, oh, this was another first, too, on Gran Turismo was a pod with a manual transmission. Now, the only way we could do it was because it was electronic shifted, so we didn't actually have to have shift linkage because it was on the steering wheel. Mm -hmm. So we basically just took the GT3 steering wheel, put that up on the, on the top, rewired everything and put a clutch pedal up there, which was hydraulic. So, mm -hmm. but it was pretty cool because that's yeah. something that you usually don't get with a pod. But, uh, but anyways, bottom line is it just puts the actor in the car for real at real speeds and it just sells. It just makes, it makes the movie that much better when you can do that. It's a pretty cool way to film an action car movie for sure. I mean, it's really the best. What's the fastest you've been in a quarter mile? Mm, let's see. I don't know. I've driven a lot of fast cars, but I can't say, okay, this is a quarter mile. I'm going to hammer this car and go, oh, you know what? Okay, I, I do have I do have something to to back this up. So on Tokyo Drift, we built these Monte Carlos, right? And uh, oh, yeah. one of them had a, uh, a 572. It was a Richmond four-speed. had a 456 gear in it. We went out to uh, Camarillo Airport, and we literally marked off a quarter mile with Edmonds online. Then we <laughs> ran all the cars. I got in that car to make a pass and something broke. I forget. I think the shift link and something, something happened. I, I couldn't make a pass. So, so we came back. I went through everything, adjusted the valves, got everything ready to go. In the meantime, we ran the other car, which was a 509 cubic inch car, which coincidentally, I still own that car. I have that car in my shop right now. But uh, in that car, I'd have to go back and watch. I think you can still pull it up, but I think it ran an 11 something in the quarter mile. And they had, you know, they had the, all the proper equipment and everything else. And, uh, Anyways, long story short, I get back in the car with the big motor, and I've, it's got slicks. I've got the air pressure. I'm, I'm really, I want to get a 10-second time out of this car. And, uh, you know, they got the, the light, three, green, go. And for whatever reason, the, uh, the first, uh, you know, light didn't trigger the car. Mm -hmm. So I never got a quarter-mile time. But I went through the lights at 130 miles an hour, oh, that's which quick. is pretty damn fast. Yeah. I mean, in a, in a 1970 Monte Carlo, to go through the lights at 130 miles an hour, it had to be. In the t I, I'm gonna in my mind, I, I believe that it had to be a 10 second pass. But uh, you know, it never got officially recorded. So that was very that's depressed so about. Fun. And, the, and the other thing that was horrible about that day is, you know, that's not a real incredibly high revy motor. 
And there was no, and I knew there was a light at the quarter, in the quarter mile, but there was no visual reference. Like we should have put a, a traffic cone so out. We should have done break. something else. So I didn't want to shut off early. So I was going to hold it in extra long. Well, I kept going in fourth gear and ran out of, ran out of gear. Mm-hmm. And I ended up scattering that motor. I mean, scattered really? it to the point where, you know, connecting rods came through the side of the block. Windowed the block. Yeah. Oil on the, uh, the airstrip, and I think that was the last time we were ever allowed to do that again because of that, because it dumped, you know, seven quarts of oil right onto the airstrip. But uh, oh, anyway, all that, blowing the motor up, and I still didn't get a, a recorded quarter mile. Oh, so wow. I'm, very, I'm still very depressed about that. It's okay. It we'll, we'll say so, tens. There, there you go. I like <laughs> it. I'll, I'll tell you guys a sad story. The car that I, I wanted more than any new car, I, I can probably say in my whole life, was uh, the new CT5 V Corvette. I'm sorry. Uh, CT- Blackwing. Blackwing uh, Cadillac. I got the 120th anniversary one. You're going to love it. So, I'm so excited for it. So when the Blackwing, I started reading about it. I was like, oh my God, this is a car. I can get a Cadillac with four doors and a and a clutch. I said, I must have this. So, And we were working. We were on a show. We were doing something. And I missed the order day. Like I just missed it. And uh, I was devastated because they were they all, they all sold out like instantly. Luckily, I have a, a couple friends. Uh, her name's Sandy from General Motors. But she was a uh, huge help in making some phone calls to Michigan. She got me, she got me the opportunity to order one. So I ordered, you know, black, the carbon seats, everything exactly what I wanted. And, uh, it's the coolest car ever. I mean, it's, I, I absolutely, it? yeah, it's in my garage, uh, but this is a sad so part cool. though. I have, I've had it for, I think a year and it has a thousand miles on it. Like I don't drive it. You know, I, it's in my garage at my house with the car cover on it. And it's like, we're going out there. Ah, no, I can't valley park this car. Really? They'll, they'll, they'll burn the clutch that's up. That's how they'll, I feel they'll, about... they'll screw it up. I'm not, I'm not doing that. I won't leave it anywhere. Yeah. You I feel know. that way about the Corvettes, but I'm like, when I tell you I'm so excited for this Blackwing, I like, I literally just can't wait to go get it. It's like what the last combustion manual transmission yep. car that they're going to make. It's the coolest make. car ever. Like I said, it's that's so cool. It's a but car that's that'll the one never that I'm going to daily drive. That's going to be like my, I joke that I'm buying the car for my dog. I'm not that, yeah. you know, it's not really the case, but like, I don't even know if she's ever going to sit in it now that I say it. Well, but <laughs> I was, that was my intent. I was, it was going to be my daily driver, but I'm going to try to start putting some more miles on it for oh, yeah. sure. Well, that's cool. Oh, that's Congratulations. That's, <laughs> Thank you. Congrats that's that's funny. That's too. funny that we, we own the same car. Yeah. For, first, we work on the same movie and then we, we own the same car. I but know. Pretty cool. <laughs> Dennis, you know, after working in Hollywood and with all these cars, um, what is your favorite like car movie? Like that you've worked on or that you just go, okay, this is, this sets the bar for a film that has cars in it. God, that is a great question. You know? And I mean, uh, I lean back to like the older stuff, you know, like 70 stuff. I mean, as a, as a young kid, my all time favorite movie was the gumball rally. One of my favorite scenes in that movie is it's a 427 Cobra and a Ferrari uh, Daytona Mm. racing through the LA river. Mm. And it's just awesome. And there's, there's backstories to that too. Uh, there was a body shop in, in Burbank called Auto FLM, which is coincidentally where my dad took all his cars. But he was one of the guys that was responsible for fixing the Cobra over, overnight because they spun the car out and it went into the channel in the center. And, you know, this is the old days of filming. They had one Ferrari, they had one Cobra. So when they wrecked it, they had to bring that car back overnight, bring it back. And it was, it was a real one too, aluminum body car. Mm. But uh, it was a real. Cobra 427? Yeah, which back in 1978 or 76, whatever it was, meant n- next to nothing. You know, it was a $4,000 car back then. But Today, they're worth so much. Millions, of course, yeah. So, anyways, but if you ever get a chance, check that movie out. Um, you know, and really, I mean, what I like in a movie is, is realism. I'm not a huge fan of massive CG. You know, I really like it. You know, to me, if you're watching a movie and you, you can believe that the stunt is really happening as you're watching it, I think it just adds to the project. And I think that's one great thing about the Fast and Furious franchises, we try to do that. Now, obviously, over the years, the CG's gotten a little bigger, but we still try to keep the car stunts, you know, being a real car stunt. 
Do you watch car movies the same today? I mean, you're probably working on all of them, but do you watch them the same today? Well, or are I, you constantly I, looking at, oh, I see how they did that, yeah, or oh, that's I, an interesting I, build? I, nit, or, I nitpick things that, you know, like, hey, the wheels are different on that car, you know, or it's, it's just little things like that that I'm, because I, you know, I would always criticize myself, you know, and it happens if we screw something up, if a car looks a little bit, you know, like, like I said, when you're building a set of 10 cars, they all need to look identical, and if something's off, I'll definitely catch it when I'm watching it, but I... Unfortunately, I can't get that out of my mind. So every time I watch a movie of the car chase, I'm looking for a flaw. I'm looking for a double car that has a different seat or a different interior. Things that a lot of people probably wouldn't notice just watching it, but you probably have this um, tuned eye for it. Right. Yeah, exactly. I mean, everything else is probably blurred outside of that, but the cars I'm focused on. So. It was really cool on the last film where, you know, the director was leaning on you to, like, help the dialogue to make it you know, like legit, because right, in the yeah. past, I mean, the fans are complaining. They're like, yo, man, you guys are in space. <laughs> the hell, bro? <laughs> right? There's like, it's 70, 30. It's just like 70%, you know, like when, when I'm out, outside, they're, you know, the fans will be like, I'm going to watch the movie anyway, but hey, man, it'd be nice if like, you know, you could go back to the cars. And then 30% yeah. is like, yeah, fuck you guys, man! You guys, right. like, yeah. that's bullshit. You guys are in space, and what the fuck is that? Like, it's right, not a car right. movie anymore, right? Right, so. right, right, right. Yeah, no, I'm with you. I mean, like I said, I, I, I would love to see you know like a flashback, like an old school flashback into maybe the, maybe the history of uh, you know Toretto Senior's street racing days or something, just to kind of bring that back. I mean, it's really. It's hard to do it today because it's just not really done today. If it is, you know, it's like you said, it's more of the street takeover. I don't know of any, you know, or I mean, I know it's out there, but I guess I'm just out of the loop on it. But, uh, but I think it'd be great to have like a flashback or something that goes back to the, to the real roots of, uh, you know, maybe, you know, the unknown where the franchise came from or something like that, you know, unknown where the Toretto name came from, you know, where, where that all stemmed from would be pretty awesome. But, uh, yeah, I like, you know, street races that are, you know, as real as it can possibly be, you know, I think would be great. A lot of people ask what happens to the cars from I the movie. I was just thinking that. The cars usually, as you know, they get destroyed during filming. You know, for instance, let's, let's take a Dom Charger in a Fast and Furious movie. You know, if, if we get two that make it through, you know, whatever we've built, 10, 12, 14 of them, we're doing pretty good. And when I say destroyed, I mean really destroyed. I mean, you know, it's, it's on some effects rig, it's cut up, there's things welded to it everywhere. So it's... uh you know, we're definitely hard on hard on vehicles. The ones that do remain, you know, we'll, we'll always go into Universal's uh, asset warehouse, and then they'll be used for tours, for special events. They'll be on display at the theme park. Uh, eventually, some of them do get sold. They're typically just sold to, you know, someone that has a uh, a museum or as a collector. You know, so not a lot of the cars really survive and actually get out there. I mean, you see them. There, and the other thing, too, this is something else that always cracks me up. There's a lot of uh, fakes that are portrayed as real cars. Mm. So that I see all the time, you know, cars. Like, I know how many cars were made and how many cars survived. And uh, there's several cars out there that I know none survived. Or if there's one, I know mm. that it's parked at Universal, but yet here's one for sale, you know, for a million dollars or something crazy. Really? You know, so, yeah. So you have to be careful of that one. You know, a lot of, uh, a lot of counterfeits out there. Yeah, like anything, I'm sure. Yeah, uh, who would have guessed? I guess I guess you're doing good. Yeah, if they're counterfeiting your your cars you built, that's yeah. I guess that says something. But uh, you're you're right by Jay Leno's garage, right? His warehouse. You're very close. Yeah, we see him every day. You know, I mean, he's one of the coolest guys ever. He's always riding a, a motorcycle, driving a steam car, driving something. You know, and, and like I said, he drives right by our shop. Sometimes you'll see him three different times in the day driving a different vehicle. But uh, one time I'm coming down San Fernando, I'm making a left onto my street, and 
I see him pushing a motorcycle, like an old Indian or a Harley. I don't know what it was, but he's pushing this motorcycle and he's a ways off. I mean, he's probably a good mile from his shop or more. So I pull over and go, Jay, what, what are you doing? Man, like, ah, you know, broke down. I go, well, dude, let me let me call a steak bed. I'll get someone down here. We'll load your bike up. We'll give you, ah, no, 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 no. This is uh, this is my exercise plan. I ride the bike when it breaks down, I push it back. <laughs> and he was like, take off, go. I'm good. I, he's all by himself, just pushing a motorcycle, you know, what through the streets him. of Sun Valley. And uh, a true car lover, motorcycle lover. I mean, it's, you know. What are you working on next? Are there anything you can talk about? Yeah, we're working on, let's see, right now, I'm working on the Joker 2. We're working on... Joker 2? Oh, that's cool. Yep. Wait, what are you building for? Are you building the Bam... Um, his car or... No, it, well, still in production there, so yeah, I can't reveal too much about it. But I will say there is a couple cool cars. It's Well, as you know, this isn't a secret, but those cars always have kind of like a late 80s, early 90s feel to them. You know, it's not, it's, they're never really like a period movie. They, they just don't specify what it is, but all the cars are in that era. But it's cool. We're working on another movie. This this one's very painful. I'm working on another movie. Jennifer Gardner's in it, and we're we've built uh, five '69 Camaro convertibles. Wow, which is one of my favorite cars. You know, not maybe the convertible part, but '69 Camaros in general. I really has always been one of my favorites. Uh, and I love it because it's such a cool thing to do. But I hate damaging '69 Camaro convertible. Mm-hmm. Like there's just something that's so painful. But you know, it's it's funny. So. The, the car count kept increasing, and uh, we bought. I started with three real convertibles, and then we built a couple of stunt cars, and then we needed another stunt car. I'm like, gosh, and I don't have time to start over and, and buy a hard top and cut it because luckily the top is always, always plays down. So uh, yesterday we were, you know, had to put you know all this rigging and roll cage and safety stuff in the car, and I was so depressed about it. But uh, my guys came out get, hey man, you won't believe how you know fucked up this car is. We, you know, we pulled the the convertible top ad, you can see the quarter panels have been smashed in and spliced and patched poorly. And I was like, ah, thank God. It's a piece of shit. You know, I was so happy that the car was, you know, not a nice car, but, uh, we're always maintaining, you know, whether it's Batmobiles, we're prepping some cars for, uh, the next Ghostbusters movie. Um, you know, so it's always, there's always something going on there. It's always, you know, it's never a dull moment, put it that way. Hey Dennis, for, for folks that are listening that want to do what you do, right. And get yeah. in the business of what you do. You know, there's no book and there's no class they can take on like how to go and break into Hollywood. I mean, what are some of the values that you've taught your children, like that you apply in your, because you're super successful. You're like at the top of your game. Like, you know, and if you were to give like a young person advice on, you know, the the traits that they need and the habits they need to be successful, and not just in Hollywood, but in anything. What what, what would you advise? I'm just gonna say it's really uh, not the answer people are looking for, but it's it's really a lot of it is luck, you know. And and that's how I said I ended this business was just like I kind of told you the backstory, just working on a guy's car turned into this and turned into that. But that being said, uh, the best thing you can do is get a job on a movie with the you know picture car department or the transportation department. You know, at least get your foot in the door, see what goes on, see how it works. I mean, I wish I had some, some of that history, but I don't, you know, like I literally started off, you know, doing Tokyo Drift, you know I mean? Like it was like, I started off my career doing like the biggest car movie ever. And the first thing I did is I looked up who did the last one. I hired him, you know what I mean? I, mm. Cause I was like, wow, I'm really, you know, it was, it was crazy what a huge production that was. And I mean, like, as you know, you know, we were scheduling changes. We had a you know, last minute replicate all the cars in Japan because there was not time to ship them to Japan. I mean, just crazy stuff. So for me to get thrown into like a ma- a car movie of that scale for my, I mean, granted, it was maybe my third or fourth job, but the other jobs were like, you know, like I mentioned, standing by here or there, not doing a whole lot. But uh, 
for someone that wants to do this, you know, the key would be going to work for someone like myself or, you know, and, and it's hard too, because it's, it's very regional. So, you know, there's Atlanta, New Mexico, you know, I mean, there's just not a lot of big, uh, car guys outside of those areas. I mean, I, I really, if I think about it, you know, Atlanta and LA, a couple guys in New Mexico, but outside of that, there's not much going on. So, but if you could get a job with a, you know, with a picture car company, that gets you familiar, gets you your foot in the door. And I mean, I have a ton of guys that have worked for me to actually do what I do now, you know, which is great. You know, I mean, I, you know, couldn't be prouder of these guys and they've done that by just, you know, they're being on set, they're taking in their cars. It gets to the point where, Hey, this guy's great. He's responsible. I can leave him on set to run it and not be there. And then, you know, sometimes, you know, they get hired for another gig outside of that. Okay, great. That's kind of the normal sequence of things. But, uh, yeah, I think you just need to get some experience and then meet some people and just do the best job you can be as responsible as you can. Never be late. Try to solve every problem you can solve without making a big deal that it's a problem. Like that's one of the things that I do. We might have something absolutely catastrophic going on. And the last thing you want to do is, yeah, we got a blown up car. You know what I mean? So I'm like, okay, before I alert that there's a problem, how can I solve the problem? So you always want to have an mm -hmm. answer uh, to the problem before everybody knows there's a problem. Now, it's not always possible, obviously. But uh, Were you always like that growing up? Or do you feel that's something that you learned um, in business over time? I feel I was always that way because I had a shop and I was always building cars. And as you know, in the world of building cars, there's always problems, yeah. you know? So, so for instance, you build a car for somebody and, you know, nine out of 10 times, it's not your fault. The part fails. Uh, it just happens. So you're always trying to, well, back then I'm trying to appease the customer. Hey, I'm so sorry about that. I'm going to get a flatbed out of my ticket. You know, I was always into customer service, which is why my shop did very well. But uh, I just basically trans transferred that same mindset into what I do now. And that was the one thing that's that's funny about this business. When I got in this business, that was non-existent. You know, like like when I you know would work with these old school car guys, it's like ah, the car broke too bad. You know, like everybody kind of had that attitude. I'm like, man, how do you guys get hired on the next job? You know, it mm -hmm. it shocked me uh, the lack of you know customer service. And you know, I always look at it, at the studio as your customer, and you want to get repeat business, so you try to do the best possible job you can, so they call you for the next one. And uh, so it's really, I think, just one of those things that's you know, more of a general, you know, just, I think the way people should always be in life, um, that I think has helped me, you know, excel in this business and, you know, get the job after the next job. So, That's great advice. I mean, but, don't be a part of the problem, be part of the solution. Yeah. And anytime, right. anytime you and your, your boys are on set, like there's never any stress. I mean, or at least they're not showing. Yeah. It. Right. Exactly. <laughs> That's, That's yeah. the key is, yeah. Try not to show the stress. Yeah. You know? There's something <laughs> That's going to happen or it's something that is not working, but everyone's like chilled. Like, and, and everyone leans on you, Dennis. Like, yeah. you know, they're like, call Dennis. He'll figure it out. You're, you're right, though. That's just, that's the key, though. It's just, you know, try to be a solution person, not a problem person. And and just try to, you know, not, you know, make my picture card department problem or whatever that issue is a problem for production. You know, so um, that's always the goal. If something happens, try to fix it before they call for the car. Try to, you know, try to make it handle and have a backup plan and a backup plan. But you know, like I said, it works 90% of the time, but you know, sometimes you just plain run out of cars. You know, that's the way it is. So. Yeah. <laughs> Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done 
has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots as I sit down with inspiring women like Misty Copeland, Brooke Shields, Vanessa Hudgens, and so many more. We dive into how these women made their pivot and their mindset shifts that happened as a result. It's a podcast about women, their stories, and how their pivot became their success. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of On Purpose. On Purpose's mission is to create impactful conversations to help you become happier, healthier, and more healed. This week, I talked to Tiffany Haddish in a hilarious, deep, thoughtful interview where we dive into family trauma, grief, sobriety, love, and dating. You'll be laughing, crying, and have so many impactful takeaways after this interview. I had this, like, you know, homie-loving friend for a long time. He's very disrespectful to me, very kind of messed up to me. But in my mind, we could get married. We had the most beautiful babies. He handsome. I'm pretty. Like, it would be so cool. He's smart and intellectual. I'm kind of smart, I think. Like, it would be fun. We have the best conversations. Like, we have fun. But then he would treat me like crap. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss this one. If you want to level up your marketing and business knowledge, then look no further than the Marketing School podcast hosted by Neil Patel and yours truly, Eric Sue. It is the number one marketing podcast in the United States and number 15 on business in the United States. And it has amazing guests such as Alex Hormozzi, Layla Hormozzi, Cody Sanchez. We pull in these amazing interviews with other people that are not only great marketers, but actual operators. And the icing on the cake is Neil and myself were also operators as well. So we share learnings from the trenches. We share secrets that we otherwise wouldn't be sharing with other people. And we also share other advantages that will help you get ahead of your competition. So all you have to do is listen to Marketing School every weekday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, Chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. I'm excited to announce a new season of my podcast, Math & Magic, Stories from the Frontiers of Marketing. Our guests this season remind us to embrace change and fearlessly look toward the future. Like Andrew Jarecki, award-winning filmmaker and creator of Movie Phone. The studios didn't really control the theaters. The theaters didn't control the studios. And I thought, well, there's a window in here where I could make things easier for the consumer and also make something that would be very useful for the industry. Or Kellen Kenny, chief marketing and growth officer at AT AT&T, who installed fiber in customers' houses rather than leading from afar. It is so crucial that you spend time with the customers. That is the best lesson. In these exciting times, we're looking to the math, the strategy and analytics, and the magic, the creative spark more than ever. Listen to a brand new season of Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Do you feel like um, with 
you know, CG and now with all this, you know, the special effects that are happening with like the volume and stuff, you think car builds are going to be limited compared to what they were when you started? I'm because, sure. Because I'm when sure, we started yeah. Tokyo Drift, they would let me actually drive the cars. I remember we, it was great. Remember I remember we went to Orlando. I drove every single car. I it drove was the so Viper, much fun. Right? They don't let you drive them anymore. We can't even put them. We can't even reverse the car. <laughs> really? Yeah, yeah. Right. Exactly. Do you pull up there? Someone else comes to back it into the spot yeah. for it. Oh, that's so crazy. Yeah. Yeah. I, I get nervous because the CG. I mean, honestly, if you go like into into video games, like I'll walk by my kids playing, you know, whatever you know, Gran Turismo or whatever game they're playing. It's like, <laughs> are they watching something? And they're like, that's a game. You know, the, it's the, so realistic. Everything's become so good. It scares me because, you know, I think that at some point, oh, we don't need cars. We don't need a stunt driver. Just, uh, you know, draw it out, do a storyboard or whatever it is and do a previs and yeah, do that. And then it'll just show up on screen. So, uh, I don't know. I think, I mean, like I said, we talked about this before. I want to go to a movie where I see cars doing car stunts and sliding around. And, you know, I love like uh, French Connection, for instance, is a great one. You know, car just sideswiping stuff, hitting stuff, but real, no CG, which I guess is why I always gravitate to these older movies when I'm looking for a good car chase. But, uh, yeah, so I think you're definitely onto something there. We we could be in trouble. So, but people can tell the difference. I mean, when you yeah. when you, I feel like you can. Right, you can. They at one time they were thinking, oh, we don't need actors anymore. But you can yeah. tell. Right. Right? You yeah. can definitely oh, yeah. tell. I just I'm just worried about five years from now. You know, five years can you tell? I don't know. I don't know. I just can't imagine even just sitting with the green screen acting like you're inside the car. Or like, oh, I'm sure they do it now to a certain extent, but. I don't know. There's also that point of realism that an actor wants to have too, so they right. don't lose touch with connecting with the the character in the moment. Yeah, I think it's. I think what's what helps, you know, you know, my cause or your cause, you know, for realism would be uh, behind the scenes videos that show how how a stunt is done. Mm. Yeah, I think that's I really love important. Watching those. Yeah, I think it's really important because a lot of people don't realize. I mean, for instance, uh, you know, Fast Seven, the car is coming out of the plane. You know. We were throwing cars out of a plane. I mean, it's <laughs> with parachutes, you know, and, and it was, uh, I'll just tell you guys a real funny story about that day. I, I wasn't there. I sent uh, one of my guys, Brad Beaven, you know, Brad sent Brad, Brad out to, yeah. send B-Rad, sent B-Rad out to Arizona for this whole, you know, plane deal. We had like maybe eight cars that we were going to, you know, launch out of this airplane. And it was completely real. I mean, they had the cars, they had the chutes, they had everything. And one Camaro, it was one of the 68 Camaros, the chute didn't open for some reason. And, uh, I mean, pretty crazy to see a car that drops out of the sky for a mile. And Did anyone capture it on video? I don't think so. The landing was not caught on video. I had the car, the aftermath at my shop. But then there was another one where they wanted to, you know, launch a car. I can't remember if it was a, I think it was a Charger. But they didn't have time to pack the chute because they were losing light. No, we just got to. Just and sent then, it. And this is like a car we just built. Like one of my favorite cars. It's like we just Whoa. built this car. There's probably, with with labor and material, there's probably 150000 200000 in this off-road Charger. And literally just chuck it out of the plane. We don't have time. I'm like, no, Brad, don't let him do it. Like Brad's calling me, go, no, but you know, some some of those decisions are way above my my head. So they just they do it, you know. And we have to build I more cars. I think I'd be in shock. I'd be like, I get it. They have to do it because yeah. the light, but that car. <laughs> it's hard. It's hard, you know, because I do love cars, but it, so it's hard sometimes with these movies because. You know, to a studio or production, they're they're just expendable. You know, yeah, it's just another car. Yeah, bring another one up. You know, hmm. so, anyways, but because uh, especially with Dom's Chargers, they're they're these super rare cars now. I mean, when you started, they were plentiful. Oh my god, right? I know. I we I, it kills me because you know we used to wreck a car, 
scrap it, send it to the scrapyard. And, you know, today I'm spending 20 grand plus for some damaged crash charger from 1970. Um, we've been working with, uh, you know, a couple different companies. Uh, buddy of mine, Dave Salvaggio, last time built us uh, complete carbon bodies. So it's really 95% it's not a charger. You know, there's mm -hmm. some pieces that aren't made yet, but I think next time around, but you know, like we'll use like the factory firewall and uh, a pillar for the door hinge mounts, mm -hmm. you know, some of the sheet metal towards the back of the car, but that's about it. Everything else, quarters, roof, doors, everything's carbon fiber. But I'm hopefully the next movie, and, I, and really, I think we just have to have a charger that we can build purely from the ground up with no, you know, no original car. I mean, literally, we're finding chargers out and, you know. So you're the reason I'm struggling to find one. Well, I don't know. I think the Dukes of Hazard still has us beat on <laughs> wrecking chargers. I don't think we've hit that number yet. But, uh, but yeah, we definitely have destroyed our share. That's for sure. It's been great insight to get to know you more, get yeah. to know the man behind the cars, you know? So thank you, Dennis, so much. This hey, has been so fun. Great to see you. It was great to meet you. Yeah, I totally appreciate it, man. Thank you, brother. Yeah, thanks thank so you. Much. Thank you. Every week on Talk Easy with Sam Fragoso, I invite an artist, writer, or politician to come to the table and speak from the heart in ways you probably haven't heard from them before. Some of my favorites are with Tom Hanks, Questlove, and Kate Blanchett. In recent weeks, I had talked to actor Dan Levy, director Ava DuVernay, and the editor of The New Yorker, David Remnick. You can listen to Talk Easy on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of On Purpose. This week, I talked to Tiffany Haddish in a hilarious, deep, thoughtful interview where we dive into family trauma, grief, sobriety, love, and dating. I got a big heart, and I'm very forgiving, but, like, don't abuse it. It's been abused enough. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss this one. If you want to level up your marketing and business knowledge, look no further than the Marketing School Podcast, hosted by Neil Patel and yours truly, Eric Sue. It is the number one marketing podcast on Apple and number 15 on business in the United States. Now, if you want to listen to interesting conversations with operators that have been there, done that, also with other interesting guests, then listen to Marketing School every weekday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your hosts of TMI. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. Listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. That's right.